Guys, I want you to open up your Bibles today to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. We are turning a corner today. We're wrapping up the series we began the year with called Unstuck. And, and really, the, the thought of that whole series was it's very foundational. We sang that song this morning about, you know, we, we place our life in Jesus and we, we, we sing about storms coming and all that and, and we're going to make it through. But you know what? We make it through if we intentionally built our life on Jesus. It's not just a warm thought. It is, it is intentional. God, we have, we have stepped into our trust, God, our faith in you. And so this whole series has been about helping each one of us, one, solidify our identity in Christ. So many people are struggling with, who am I? Well, you are a child of God made in his image and greatly loved just by the fact you are alive today on this earth. But more than that, he has identified you as a son or daughter that he wants to know him and that he can pour out his blessing on because God created us to know and experience his love, right? He didn't create us because he didn't need worship. That's not why he created us. He didn't create us so we can accomplish great things. That's not why he created us. He created us so we can know his great love. Go back and read it in Genesis. That's why he created Adam and Eve. And we get to be part of that redemption process now on the earth. But again, it comes back to being intentional of putting our hope and trust in him. So we've tried to apply that to various areas of our life, relationships, finance, attitude. After Easter, we're going to talk about some, some areas of life where people struggle to, to get a hold of the word of God and live in that truth. Things like overcoming anxiety and worry and fear and those type of things. But we want to wrap it up this morning by, by looking into one area that just, again, I, I don't think we can speak on enough, uh, but it really sets that foundation. And that is what it means to, to really develop a generous spirit about our lives, generous in everything. In other words, intentionally looking, how can I be a blessing to somebody else? How can I be a blessing in my relationship? How can I be a blessing in my home? How can I be a blessing in this world? And you know, we've been theming it around this thought, it'll be on the screen, that is that everyone ends up somewhere, but few end up there on purpose. We meander, we wander, we float. And we get in places, we're like, how do we get here? And, and we, we, we kind of justify, well, it must be where God wants us to be. But I will, I will challenge you this morning, a lot of times it's not where God wants us to be. It's just where we ended up. Can God use us there? Yes. But yet he wants us to be more intentional about seeking him and following him because good things rarely just happen, guys. You don't build great, great relationships just by waking up. Uh, you don't become a witness for Christ just by showing up. And you don't become generous in life just by saying yes and amen. There's an intentionality to that. So we were talking about getting unstuck. And when we're very clear, there is a, there's a, a, a system or an alignment in Scripture that shows us how to, to get where God wants us to be. And we've been laying it out week after week, so I hope this gets, has gotten ingrained in you and you walk it through. But the first thing is, is you have to know the truth. You just have to be honest. Where am I? Where am I? That could be like a group counseling session right now. Where are you? <laughs> right? Because we are all like, ah, maybe not where I want to be. And that's the truth about a lot of people. We know where we want to be. We know what there looks like. We just don't know how to get there. And too much of the earthly uh, information or encouragement says, well, just try harder. But the truth is, the harder you try, the, the more stuck you get. You're just spinning your wheels. You've got you to go beyond that. So there's truth. There's truth about you. There's truth about God. Then you need a plan. How, how am I going to walk this out? That's why we need each other. Because there's an accountability that comes with that plan, right? God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take those steps. We're in the middle of Freedom Group right now. We've got 18 folks here and another in a group down in South Charlotte. We are holding each other accountable. What's that next step for you? And then finally, and this is most critically, you need to get a hold of a power greater than your own. How many know that God is powerful, amen? 
He is greater than all your problems. He's greater than all your issues, greater than all your identity issues. Our God is all-powerful, and we've got to get a hold of him if we're ever going to walk out of being stuck. If not, we do, we do kind of like the scripture says in Proverbs, and where, where there's no vision, the people just perish. You know, it's, if, if we don't follow that, then we just gonna, we're just going to ultimately waste away. And that's not what God intended for us, to, to live, to die, and just kind of be. No, there, there's intentionality. I love what Eugene Peterson wrote in the message. It's not on the screen. It says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. And we started this series really because God gave me that word unstuck because I saw that so much happening last year. It's like, we just want to get there, but we don't know how to do that. And God is doing great things. And today we're going to, we're moving into that area of how do we get unstuck by developing a generous spirit. And to do so, we're going to look at a story to kind of kick off the Easter season. We're in March. Easter is the last Sunday of March. As Mel was saying, February flew by, even with a leap year, right? 29 days, uh, but wasn't quite enough. Now we're in March. And I want to kind of get us ready for that Easter because, can I tell you, Christmas is awesome, but unless he rose from the grave, we are, we are a foolish people. But we are not because he rose from the grave, amen? We're going to celebrate that well. But we're going to pick up a story that, that I just want to take a little piece out of it and talk about developing that generous spirit today. It's found in Luke's Gospel, Luke 19, beginning in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany and at the mount which is, that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into a village in front of you where, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said to them, uh, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Can you picture that? I mean, just the celebration that's going on. And, and, and we read that story, and it, you just kind of want to put yourself there. But there's this little part in there that, that this Lord really directed me to on this week that, that we can kind of gloss over that I think speaks so highly of what it is to have a generous spirit. It's found in verse 31. It says, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. It's an incredible story, isn't it? Triumphal entry. Here's Jesus approaching Bethany and, and Bethphage, the home of Lazarus. Remember Lazarus who he raised from the dead? The home of Simon the leopard where he was anointed with a, with a very expensive perfume that, that made some people question what they were doing. And in the midst of it, we see this interaction with, with this unnamed person who happened to own a donkey. This unnamed person who just happened to have a, a, a brand new uh, beast of burden, so to speak, that he needed for his life. And, he said, and they came and they said, the Lord has need of it. And all we can conjecture from the story is he said, okay. Now, I know it sounds crazy, but let me give you a little modern illustration. So we bring it into our terms. And like, it's just a donkey. Who cares, right? I'd give it away too, unless you need one. Modern illustration. Ever since high school, right? Remember those days? How many remember high school? For some of us, it's been a long time. Some of you try to forget, right? Ever since high school, you've been driving that, that first car. 
Maybe, maybe it's one of those cars that kind of looks like uh, looks like this on the screen here. It's that it's that one you could afford, right? Or or, or it was passed down by older brother, or older sister, or mom and dad. Or like, okay, go. That's a Geo Metro, by the way. If you don't know what that is, and and you 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 you've gotten it all the way through college now. I mean, you've made it. I mean, it's beat up. It's been repainted four times. It smells like a forty-year-old burrito inside, but but it's yours. And you get that first adult job, right? And you go out and you do something foolish that Dave Ramsey would teach you not to, and you get that first adult car with a first adult payment on top of it, and you get the Escalade. <laughs> right? I mean, it is tricked out. Wait, look at those rims. I mean, it's leather inside. You can't afford it, but you don't care because after all, you just got out of college. It's got the top line audio, and you take it home that day. And what do you do when you get a new car? You drive slow, don't you? You're like daring anybody near, like, don't get near. No, 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 it's a new car. Don't, don't scratch it. And then as you get closer to home, you start slowing down even more, and you roll down the window like, yeah, that's right. This is my car. I, this is my, I mean, you may be in debt up to your eyeballs, right? But it's, it's my car. And you pull into the driveway, and you're, you're just dusting off the, the fingerprints where you open the car, because you know how you treat new things, right? And, and about that time, you, you see Pastor David and, and Pastor Justin walking down the road. And they come up to you and they're like, nice car. Yeah, oh, it's, it's mine. And they say, great, can I see the key fob? And they're like, oh, why? And they teeth the key fob. Before you know it, Justin's in the side seat, David hops in, and they, they, they start riding away. And you're like, what, what are you doing? It's my car. And they're like, yeah, but the Lord needs it. <laughs> Not David needs it. <laughs> He's like, hallelujah, pastor. I'm all over that. The Lord needs it. And here's the craziness of the story. It'd be like going, okay, go ahead on. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's what I do. I read the story. I'm like, what? Come on. That's insane. But that's exactly what happened. I mean, it may look like an Escalade, but that donkey had zero miles on it. He was fully tricked out. I mean, four on the floor, literally. I mean, everything. He, he is all that he needs for life. And it was something there, and, and yet the Lord had need of it. I have, to, I have to go deep. I have to go, why would this guy do this? Why, why, would, why would we see this? Why would he just say, sure? And then I start thinking about through the book of Mark and other the gospels of, of all the people who interacted with Jesus and all the people who sat under his teaching I mean, who knows that this man maybe was tormented by demons. One day Jesus said, I cast them out in the name of my father, and, and he was set free in that moment. Who knows if he had a son or daughter who was sick and dying, and, and there was no hope because they didn't have modern medicine, and they brought him to Jesus, and he laid hands, and the child was healed. Wow. Who knows that he was not just one of the crowd? Then we listen to the words of Jesus. His, his spirit came alive. He said, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. And he, and he gave his life to Christ. He, he, he came into salvation. And like you and I, when we were saved, the joy of being set free, maybe he said something like, Lord, you are my everything. God, you're my all in all. God, I am yours. Whatever you need, God, whatever you want, God, I am yours. Maybe the night you got saved. I remember mine very well, the night of my salvation. 
I remember, I remember very well, my mom was up on the piano that night because on Sunday nights the organist wouldn't show up. She's on the piano, and I, I remember the, the song being played, and I can just hear it over and over again, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. And I remember singing out with all my heart, I surrender all. I mean, just you remember that moment? Tears running, snot running, you need cleaning. It's I surrender. Why? Because you've been set free. You, you found what it is to be saved and honestly, it was easy then, right? God, whatever you want. God, whatever you need, God, I, I'm there. I'm all in for you, God, because they all didn't seem so hard at that moment. But the problem is, as we grow and we live and we move, our all changes. And over time, it seems bigger. Now, let's be honest. If God asked you to give the, ship, the, the Geo Metro away, some you're like, please, can I get a tax deduction for that? But the all gets bigger. And it gets harder. It's a defining moment. You hear those words, the Lord needs you. The Lord needs it. And there's that defining moment of, of whether we have a generous spirit or, or if not, or if not, we're just going to hang on to everything and say, no, it's mine. God, am I going to live out with what I, what I say? I, I don't know about you. I, I, how many know I love singing? That's why I sit on the front row. I sing loud. The poor people up here, they hear me too loudly. I love singing but I refuse to sing something I will not live. There are times we sing songs like, oh, mm, God, I'm having a hard time with that right now. God, I don't want to be a hypocrite in my singing, God, because I don't want to say something I'm not willing to do. So it's a matter of defining that moment. It's, it really comes down to this thought, and that is, what is it that God wants? Because what God wants always aligns with what the world needs. When you think about what does God want from me or out of me or in me, he wants you to experience him. But then that love that he flows through you, he wants to flow out to the world because that's what the world needs. So it always aligns in that. And it's a generous heart that walks with a generous spirit toward God and others. And the scenario is lived out again and again, day by day, in every one of our lives, in the smallest ways and sometimes in the biggest ways, where God just says, do you have a generous spirit? Then I want you to love that person. If you have a generous spirit, then I want you to stand up for what's right in this area. If you have a generous spirit, then I want you to take that which you have and, and bless someone who has nots. But yet we live so much for ourselves. Now, don't, don't miss the point. I want to be careful this morning. God loves each of us and wants to bless and prosper us. He gave us a, an incredible free will, but let's just, let's just get something straight right now. The moment you surrender your life to God, guess what? You're his. You're his. Not too excited about that. You're his. Because you see, when I say I have a firm foundation, no matter what happens, I will stand, that only happens because you're his. It's not because you're stronger than somebody else. It's not, it's not that you have more self-control or, or, or deeper grit. No, it's because you're his. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. In him we have no lack. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And the seemingly absurdity of this story is lived out again and again. Let me just kind of bring it into our world. God may say to you, you know that business knowledge that I prospered you with? I need the fruits of it to send missionaries to build churches to lift people out of poverty. It's an interesting proverb, Proverb 28, 8. It says, whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. Isn't that powerful? I mean, he's like, look how blessed I am. God's like, great, because this can go to somebody who's going to be generous with that. That's God's plan. Maybe another way. 
You know, those nursing skills I've gifted you with, the Queen City Pregnancy Center could use some help ministering to women who are, who are making a decision to keep a child or maybe coming out of the, a, a, a wrong choice of abortion, and now they need someone to love them and show them the way towards Christ. Lord has need of it. Maybe that child of yours that you're grooming to be a doctor, God just may want to be a missionary. And you're like, God forbid, I'm not spending that much on college. What's a soul worth? So he can fix a broken arm. Big whoop. What's a soul worth? You see, it's changing our mindset with intentionality that says, if, if I'm going to be unstuck, then there's got to be this generous spirit in me that, that's a whole other level of discipleship, of, of kingdom living, which is that's the kingdom building, that the world has changed because I'm walking in it right now. And it all flows out of that, that, that statement of Jesus in John 3, 16, where he, he gave the crux of the kingdom of God, where the, he said that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You can't get more generous than that, can you? So when I say I want to be like God, it flows out of that. He gave us all. Now he calls you and I to a generous way of thinking, guys. A generous way of seeing, a generous way of living, because generosity doesn't just happen. That's the thing that messes people up. It doesn't just happen. There's an intentionality to it. If I don't walk with generous eyes, I'll never be generous. If I don't listen with generous ears, I'll never hear the cry of the hurt or the broken and say, God, I can do something about that. We must have an intentionality. It's a yes, Lord disposition that doesn't flinch when we hear the words, the Lord needs it. So this morning, what I want to do in wrapping up this series, I want to talk about four areas of generosity that, that God wants in our lives. Not just for a few. There's not a spiritual gift of generosity. Look it up. Go, go look at the spiritual gifts. Well, you know, they, they've got the gift of generosity. I just don't, so I don't care. No, that, that's not the way it works. There is a gift of giving some have that, is, that just is unique, and that is that they just can't give it away fast enough. God wired them that way and blesses them that way. But there's a generous spirit that every one of us has that God wants to flow through our lives. Last week, we looked at one of these at length. I'm just going to hit it a little bit this morning, just a reminder. Then we're going to move to the other ones. But, but he wants to be generous with our finance. We are the most blessed, wealthy nation on the earth. Can we get a yes to that? Yeah. We're going to all wave the flag when we want to, but let's remember something, guys. We're the most blessed people on the earth. The wealth the church of Jesus Christ holds in America could end hunger around the world right now. It, it could end the need for water around the world right now, but we're sitting on our wealth. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your, all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. We're like, God, where's my vat full? Where's my barn full? But we haven't honored God with our wealth or our first fruits. People call it church hurt. Well, I, I got hurt. We all get hurt. We're people. But we don't just fall into this. There's an intentionality. Leviticus 27.30 says this about the tithe. Every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is what? Help me out here. Holy to the Lord. So every time I, I tithe, every time I, you tithe, every time the church tithes, what we're doing is we're affirming. We're affirming in our spirits in the world that, that everything I have comes from God. Right. Everything. Every, every thought, every, every break, every blessing, it all comes from God. We didn't just get there because we're special. God did things in our lives to get us where we are. So when I get my first 10%, it's evidence of my recognition of that fact. 
Now, that's not what this sermon's about today. This is really kindergarten level of generosity. In fact, it's, it's not even generosity. That's, that's just obedience. God says, that's mine. It's obedience. And you remember in the Garden of Eden? This is, I don't know why it took me all these years of preaching just to dawn on me, right? In the Garden of Eden, what did God do? He said, Adam and Eve, it's all yours. Enjoy. You don't have to work. You don't have to sweat. You don't have to you don't even put clothes on. Just go enjoy. There's one tree. It's holy, set apart, don't touch it. And what was the temptation of Satan to them? Did God really say that? Did God really say that? And now we come into this blessing of covenant, and he says, look, it's all yours. I, I bless you. I give you the ability to create wealth. It's all yours. But that first 10% is mine. It's holy. And what do we say? Did God really say that? You see, guys, it, it's intentionality. It's we want the benefit without the foundation. We want, we want the blessing without the generous spirit. So we focus on that generous spirit that goes beyond obedience, that is seen in a willingness, even anticipation of opportunity. Lord, how can I be a blessing? How can I be a blessing? Because generosity begins after the tithe. It's with the 90% that God's given us a steward over. We don't have to give it away, but he says, hey, I want a generous spirit in you. Because after all, it's all his. He wants us to go to a higher level of generosity. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of seeing. It's a way of living. You plan to be generous, and you develop a heart that seeks to honor God, and God is honored when we're generous. Paul the Apostle gave us a great example in Philippians 4.18 from the church at Philippi when Paul was out taking new territory, breaking new ground for the gospel. The church at Philippi, they said, we're going we're gonna to bless you with an offering. So they've already paid their tithes, support the local work that's happening. They're like, we're going to bless you with an offering. And here's what he said in Philippians 4.18. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Notice this. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Guys, our generosity pleases God. Our generosity comes like a sweet-smelling aroma to him. It's part of denying ourselves and recognizing that he is Lord of all. You see, we have to move to that place of understanding again that we, we do everything to honor God. So how do I know where to be generous? Let's get practical. How do I know where to be generous? Can I help you out real fast? Generosity is not emotional. If we are financially generous and only when we are in emotion, our emotions are stirred, some of you would give everything away for puppy and kitten rescue. Let's be honest. Oh, they're so cute. Yeah, they are. Listen, it's okay to give, cause, to, give to the causes of the earth. It's okay. If you're into rescuing whales, rescue whales. That's okay. But remember, you're on a different mission because you're a child of God. And as followers of Christ, there's a different mission that leads to a different way of seeing things, and, and we are to be kingdom builders, so we, we are generous toward that which leads to life, and that which, which builds up others. I was, I was researching it for you this week. I've been asked this question. My pastor, there's so many things to give to. How do we know? And really, there's three things that I think are critical when you know who to give to when it comes to generosity. If you're going to support a ministry, number one, it needs to be trustworthy. It needs to have a history. It needs to have some records and accountability. We're having Discover Hope afterwards. We're going to bore you with all of our, our structures of accountability around here because it matters. It matters because every dollar we want to give, give somewhere. It's a durable ministry. In other words, it's not just a flash in the pan. 
Well, we're going to do a great thing this Saturday. All right, that's great. How about we do a great thing for decades to come? Everybody posts and applauds a one-shot wonder. But it's durable. It's going to continue. And most importantly, it's gospel advancing. Listen, as a believer of Jesus Christ, everything I do intentionally leads to the gospel going out to somebody else. Everything we do leads to the gospel going out to someone else. Why? Because Christ came to die for this world. Church, I was so blessed early at Hope. There was a young couple I'd never seen before. In fact, that convicted me. They were just starting out in marriage. I had a privilege of counseling a little bit with them. And they said, Pastor, when it comes to finances, we just want to know if this is okay. We set up what we call a blessing fund. I'm like, a what? A blessing fund. And I said, how do you get a blessing fund? I want to know that. And they said, well, we, we already tithed. And we just prayed to God and said, God, what would you want us to sacrifice instead of clothes or, or the newest car or whatever that we can be just generous with? And we set it aside and we look for opportunities to be generous. And I was like, that's amazing. And they said, yeah, it's, it's not more than they're paid. So it's not faith that goes out there and puts you in debt. It is it's saying, God, I'm just going to sacrifice some so that others may be blessed to know who you are. Because our generosity flows from our hearts. It's not under the compulsion. Literally, the word says the Lord loves a cheerful giver as we reflect on all the Lord has done. So that's where we find ourselves in this. You know, it's it's our responsibility as a church to, to create that opportunity for you, for all of us. In fact, we, we were talking about this late last year, and we're about to enter into this. Some of you remember when this comes on in a second. We want to, want to kind of let you get an entry-level part of that and say, what would it look like if your generosity would change the lives of women around the world? In fact, I want you to see this video real quick this morning. What if you could change the world with just one day? Globally, more than 383 million women and girls live in extreme poverty. But through Convoy of Hope's One Day to Empower Women, you can help break the cycle of poverty for generations to come. One Day to Empower Women is a simple way for you to end the cycle of poverty for women and girls around the world. This powerful campaign is about giving one of your days to change her every day. That's why we've made getting involved simple for anyone to do. When you give one day's earnings, you are equipping women to start their own businesses so they can feed their children and send them to school. You're also helping young girls find their voices and prepare them for the future. It's easy. Find your one day giving total by dividing your salary by 365. Choose a day at work to wear your one day sticker. Visit the website to register and receive free materials and other resources. Because when you change her story, you change the world. <coughs> Pointing out problems, we're not good at doing something. Empowering women who are the highest percentage of the poor in the world, instead of saying, here's a handout you can feed today, actually empowering them to start businesses, to, to lead their families. Many of them are, are, there's no husband, there's no man there, and they're, they're leading their families. And how many know God will have something to say about that? But we just can't say, oh, there's too many poor in the world. Let's get isolationists. No, let's give that others can live, amen? And we're gonna be sharing about this in the next couple of weeks. We're not taking your offering right now, but we are right before Easter. We, t- we led you into this in the late fall. Next week, we'll a little more about it, a little more about it. But it's really simple. What does one day look like? What is one day, 365 days out of the year? Here's quick calculations. You know Mike loves numbers. If all of us engage in that, let's say our average salary is $40,000 around it, which I know it's not true, but if it is, 
We'd give over $25,000 away that day to empower women around the world. It'd be that simple, guys. But it takes all of us having a generous spirit toward that. So we move in that. But you know, guys, I, I love this. It says in Matthew 25, 40, it says, the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So we're not looking for a plaque. We're, we're not looking for a, a memorial. No, we're just wanting to bless our God, amen, by ministering to those that he created to love him. And you're gonna be hearing more about this because at Hope, we're moving into a kingdom builder's mindset. In other words, it's so hard to discern, God, where to be generous because it's just, I don't know about you, it's kind of like the political season. You got inundated by, by, by flyers and by emails. You wonder how they even got your phone number, that kind of stuff, right? Well, it's the same way with giving. You should see the mail that comes to me every week. Give to this, give to that, give to that. We, we are starting something called Kingdoms Builders where we have a group forming that's going to be vetting these ministries around the world and say, do they align with the values of hope? And then we're going to give you opportunity to be generous toward those so that we may advance the kingdom of God. Sound good? Yeah. Thank you, both of you. That's awesome. But it can't stop there. As I said, this is not about finances alone today because God wants us to be generous not only in our finance, but also generous in our relationships. He wants to be generous in our relationships. Maybe you don't think about your relationship in a, a framework of generosity. But I tell you, nothing destroys a relationship quicker than a stingy, withholding spirit that lives contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing kills it faster. There's all these studies about why marriages fail, and they, they want to blame it on this, that, and the other. I tell you, it comes down because somewhere there was a stingy, withholding spirit that says, I'm just not giving anymore. I'm just not. You can't say I love the God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and withhold forgiveness or give it grudgingly because you have to. See, God's not blessed by what you have to do. Well, I got it. Maybe I'm sorry. I got to apologize because Pastor Mike said I have to and God might just strike me with a lightning bolt. So there it is. I'm sorry. No, there's nothing generous about that, right? That, that's just a self-justifying way of being a bigger jerk instead of living out. I said that. In, yeah, it's on there. Instead of, instead of being generous in our spirits. You see, God is generous in forgiveness. Do you recognize that? Listen, how often has he forgiven you and I when we didn't deserve it? How often, right? All the time. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I can't think of a single day in my life that I can say, oh, I'm totally worthy of his mercies and his grace. I can't think there's a single day where I can stand up before God and say, hey, God, you owe me grace today because look at me i'm awesome no again and again he forgives again and again he speaks into us again and again he he works into us first john 4 20 says it this way if anyone says i love god and hates his brother he is a what liar for he does not love his brother whom he has seen for, for i'm sorry get it back here for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love god whom he has not seen so it doesn't do any good to sing the worship songs and, oh, isn't God great, and you hate your brother. He says, you're a liar. And, and that praise is not rising up as any kind of sweet-smelling savor. It's a stench in the nostrils of God. So he generously come and say, look, in my relationships, I want to be generous to my friends. I want to be generous to my spouse. I want to be generous to my parents, to my, to my children. I want to have these two beautiful words in my vocabulary that I both hear and I give away generously, and that is you are for, you're forgiven. Two words. You're forgiven. Con, you're forgiven. I don't hold that against you. I, I don't hold it over your head. You see, generosity reaches out to people and gives them what they need, not what they deserve. 
Whenever we are not generous and whether we are not forgiving, whether it be in our church relationships, whether in friendship or, or in marriage, if we're walking around and we're holding that anger towards somebody because they let us down and, and we're just carrying that as becoming our identity, can I tell you that honors Satan. It doesn't honor God at all. It doesn't. I thought this was going to be a light sermon today. I'm sorry. I'm kind of like stepping on it here. Guys, it's foundational. It's intentional. God, far be it from me to walk through any day holding unforgiveness towards anybody. Because you said in your word, God, when I do that, I can't even let my prayers rise to you. And how can you forgive me, God, when I won't forgive others? So if we're going to be generous, it's not just about finance. It leads into our relationships. Because when it's filled with stinginess and pettiness, it'll never reflect what God intended. Listen, we have a choice. If we want to experience heaven on earth, then the key is generosity in our giving, our forgiving, our releasing, not withholding anything, and not depending on they deserve it. I, I, Denise loves me way beyond what I deserve. I love her. We, it's not about, well, I'll love you today because you've had a good day. No, we, we love each other. And when we're sideways, we forgive each other. I know I just blew your mind. Y'all thought, how could they ever be sideways? We get sideways sometimes. We just do. God, God taught us early on, forgiveness is the key. It's generous. Here, here's kind of a tag on to that, a third level of generosity, and that's generous love. We live in a selfish, self-absorbed society. Jesus said an end-time sign would be that men would be lovers of themselves. It's all about me. We, we live in a culture of, of, of takers all the time, right? But we must take every opportunity to be generous with our love. Honestly, our love is the only true sign of our discipleship. The world's not impressed that we support Hope Street Food Pantry or we feed the whales. They'll know we are believers if we love the way Christ loves. That's the only sign. That's the only, that's the only true evidence there is to prove we are his. This world we live is, is taking all the time. What, what can you do for me? But Christians should be known for what we give, not what we take. Jesus said, the world needs your love, so I need you to be generous with it. It's, it's the clearest evidence of our faith. And he illustrated it quite wonderfully in the parable of the Good Samaritan. He showed us that we can't just love those that we like. Let me say it again. We can't just love those that we like. He went so far as to say, love your enemies. See, Pastor, that's too much to expect. Let's go back to the donkey illustration. The Lord needs it. He needs it because the world needs it. You see, when we love, we recognize we are part of the remedy for so much of the world's brokenness. You, 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 you may have even heard the, the saying, maybe you even said it in your own way, but, it, but people say, well, you make me sick. You ever said that? Don't raise your hand. You make me sick. Funny thing is, science has proven that's true. Literally. You see, they, they've shown it when you withhold love. They did a study with infants, which I think was just totally cruel, but they did a study with infants that when they stopped showing them the appropriate affection and love, their bodies stopped developing properly. And they got sick. When you look around and say, I can't believe those sick people, maybe your love will make them whole instead of just complaining about them. Maybe your love would make a difference. Maybe, maybe it would, would cause something to reach out in compassion, generosity, to engage their lives in such a way to tell them they matter. Because the reality is when we withhold love, the very love we receive from the Lord, we are committing sin and we're exacting a terrible price on humanity. The Bible says what we know to do good and we don't do it, it is Sin. 
And so the generosity needs to be intentional of how we love. Too many who identify as Christians today are focused more on who they can exclude from loving than who they love. Please don't ever say this to me. I may not be in a good frame of mind that day and my filter may be bad and I may have to repent. Pastor, do I have to love them? What do we do about them? What do you think about them? I think they're made in the image of God with infinite worth and value. I think they're put on this earth for us to understand what it means to be generous with our love and compassion and forgiveness and grace. I think they're not a problem to solve. They're a person to love. That's what I think. I've seen well-known people who claim to be Christians speak of humanity saying they disgust me. They're unlovable. Man, I'm so glad you're not God. Because God so loved the world, not the good ones, not the clean-up ones, not the ones that align with what we believe. So God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And we got to be careful because we get caught up in this. Well, you know, Pastor, the problem in the world is those people. Step away from me when you say that. Because the Bible says, so were we once. We were lost in our sin and our deprivation. We, we were driven by our human desire, just like animals. We were driven by greed and self and all these things. And what happened? Christ saved us. In the moment we think towards someone else uh, in an unloving way, what we're saying is they're too far beyond what God can do. Now we don't have a firm foundation of even what God can do. Man, I didn't think this was a preaching sermon. It's a preaching sermon. Come on. You see... We cannot always look through the lens of the world. We've been set apart. We've been bought with a price. We deny ourselves and we, we hold out the hope that Christ gives to us. But it's got to translate in our loving. It's got to translate in our relationships. It's got to translate in our finance. John 15, 12, Jesus said, this is my commandment, not my suggestion, not a good idea, not if you feel like it. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. When's the last time you meditated on how much God loves you? When have you just stopped and put that in emotion? Say, how does God love me? It'll humble you. It'll bring you to a place where you say, God, how can I withhold that? In fact, in Galatians, Paul put it this way, Galatians 5, 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Church, the Lord needs it. It is a statement and made in the story of the triumphal entry that impacts our lives in so many ways. Because when the Lord says, I need it, it's because the world needs it. He, he, he flows through us. The world, world needs us to, to love the inner city. The Lord needs us to love the, the mission field. The, the world needs us to love our neighbor, to love our spouse, our family, our parents, our children. But it all comes down to that attitude. Am I going to be generous or not? Am I going to be a giver or am I going to be a taker? Am I going to live my whole life with my hands out like this saying, you owe me? Or am I going to be like this the whole time saying, God, flow through me. Flow through me, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I, I remember when you forgave me. Thank you, Lord. I remember what I used to be like and you set me free, God. God, thank you, Lord. I remember how dark my life was and how I couldn't sleep and how I lived in worry and how, I, how my insides were all torn up, God, because I was just I was out of control. Thank you, Lord. 
So whatever ask, whatever you ask, God, it's yours. Church, let's be honest. We receive, we receive, we receive, we receive. It's time to give out. It's time to give out. The Lord needs it. And we really have to learn today how we're going to live. We're going to live with the palms up always saying, all right, God, give me, give me, give me. Or are we going to learn to live this way? I like it better this way. I think it's this. Palm up to God, palm out to the world. God, as long as you supply, I'm giving. In fact, when we talk about kingdom builders in a few weeks, and this, what we're saying, look, what we're saying is if God supplies it, give it out. If he doesn't, you don't have to. That's faith. That's saying, God, I got to trust, Lord, you're going to do this to give that. It's not what I can do, what you can do through me that matters, God. That's generosity, and it flows out of us. And finally, we're going to wrap it up, and you're like, praise God. If we're going to be generous with our finance, generous with our, with our relationships, generous with our love, we've got to learn to be generous with our words. Words are powerful, aren't they? We are shaped for good and bad by the words of others, and yet we're so loose with our words. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. <laughs> As my dear mom would say, Mike, you got nothing good to say? Just don't say anything. And I think for some of us, that might be the fast we need. God, can we have a covenant with our lips that, Lord, what we say will build others up instead of tearing others down? And don't go all legalist on me here for a moment. It's not just what comes out of your mouth. It's also what comes out of this or this. Most often this. Because you don't think when you do that. You see, if we're going to be generous, it's got to flow through all these areas of life. What we, what we say with our words to others is you matter to God. You matter to God. I don't care if you root for a team I don't like. You matter to God. I don't care if you identify somewhere in the world that is opposite of God's word. You matter to God. Because every one of us have to surrender our identity to Christ. That's what salvation is. You matter to God. And when you think generous thoughts and you see things with a generous eyes, you live with a generous life, you're telling one of God's precious creations they matter. So let me ask you, have you heard the call to generous living? Have you heard the voice the Lord needs it? Because he brings a promise to this. And how many know that God is not a man that he should lie, right? And the promise is so clear in Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 38. He says, judge not, and you won't be judged. Condemn not, you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will it be put into your lap. For with the treasure you use, it will be measured back to you. Isn't our God awesome? Isn't our God generous? Isn't our God amazing? You know, again, I, my experience growing up in church is my experience but I, we, we would have missionaries come through. And again, I told you I'm big into singing. I love to sing. Praise is such a part of my life. It is the strength God, God flows through. It's, it's part of that firm foundation, right? But they, they would bring this song, and it would be, it'd be so convicting because it would seem so out of touch. And the words of it were, God, I'll, I'll go where you want me to go. And in your mind as a kid, you're going, except there, except to them or mountain, or plain, or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. That has stuck with me. 
Because in myself, in my selfishness, I'll change the lyrics. God, I'll go where I want to go. God, I'll say what I feel like saying. God, I'll, I'll be what I feel like being. But I remember in tears singing that as a child, not fully understanding it. But something in my spirit was just saying, that's it. That's how you live a life that's hands are open to God. Saying, God, whatever that looks like, whatever you put your hand on and say, I need that, then God, I, I say yes. Because generosity is not an event. It's a lifestyle. Everyone ends up somewhere, but few end up there on purpose.